Hello and welcome to Eccentric Earth, the podcast where I, your host Amy Walker, delve into stories from across history with a guest who has no idea what the topic's going to be. Joining me this week is Dave Bond. Good evening, folks. Hi, thank you for, for coming back, Dave. Yeah, it's been, it's good to be here. It's been a little while. Yeah, cool. It has, and it's it's a shame, but you do get the honour of being in episode 2 and episode 20, so it's nice looking number-wise. So. <laughs> so I'm going to be on in 180 episodes time then? Yes, you get episode 200. <laughs> and, and then 2000. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, there could be a gap, all right? <laughs> No, hopefully it won't be 180 episodes. No, absolutely time. not. <laughs> right, it's a pleasure to be back, so thank you for inviting me. No, any time. And um, the episode we had you on before, Leo Major, the, the mad one-man army. Oh, I army. loved that. It was great. It was great. The one-man army, yeah. <laughs> it, that has proven to be our most popular episode on YouTube. Really? <laughs> it's, it's hits outnumber all the other episodes combined oh wow okay well thank you for thank you for those of you who watched it or listened to it i I doubt it was all me the story's really good but thank you but because that proved popular i found you another absolutely thoroughly crazy person because i had a lot of fun it seems like the listeners did so i thought we'll see if we can capture that magic again okay A quick message to our listeners from our friend and guest Holly Rose about the Cosplay Journal, a coffee table magazine focusing on the diversity and craft of cosplay. Released on the 11th of June, the Cosplay Journal wants to show that not only can anyone be involved in cosplay, but that everyone is capable of learning new skills, creating amazing things, and bringing joy into their own and other people's lives through the art of costume making. The first issue features craft focus articles on sewing, armor building and makeup, as well as interviews with some incredible cosplayers who have taken their own paths with their hobby, some becoming professionals, some simply being the perfectionist amateur. They ask, are cosplay guests worth it in their opinion piece and give readers a look into the everyday lives of cosplayers to show you the hard work that goes into these wonderful creations. All of this is accompanied by images of cosplayers from around the UK, showcasing the amazing skills and artistry from the cosplay community. So make sure that you head over to Amazon to pre-order your copy of the Cosplay Journal to ensure that you don't miss out. John Mitten was born on the 30th September 1796. His family were Shropshire squires with a lineage that stretched back some 500 years. When he was just two years old, John's father died. As such, he inherited the family seat of Holston Hall in Whittington, which was worth £60,000, which in today's money equates to £4.3 million. It also had an annual income of £10,000 a year, which comes to about £700,000 today, from rental and agricultural assets generated by an estate of more than 132,000 acres. Mitten was sent to Westminster School, but was expelled after one year for getting into a fight with a teacher. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, we've all at least thought about doing it. 
He was then sent to Harrow School, from which he was also expelled after just three terms. He was then educated by a number of private tutors, whom he tormented with practical jokes. That included, one time, leaving a horse in one of his tutor's bedrooms. (laughs) I would say we've all done that, but that's not true. (laughs) I haven't. Despite having achieved very little academically, Mitten was granted entry to Trinity College, Cambridge, where he took 2,000 bottles of port to get him through his studies. Hang on a minute, how long were his studies? (laughs) If this is one night of cramming revision, I think he's taken a risk. Well, he, he stayed for the full time of a degree so he's he's rationing i think right so that's hang on a minute so that is 667 bottles a year which means <laughs> there's about 30 weeks in the average university year which means he's drinking about 23 bottles a week which means he's drinking three bottles a night oh that's easily that's, doable that's impressive <laughs> i've only i only managed 662 unfortunately he found university life boring and came out without a degree. How would he know he's too pissed? <laughs> I mean, basically, uh, you know, it, it's a bit like if I wrote my memoirs, I reckon it would be a pamphlet. Um, <laughs> how can you comment seriously on something you were that drunk for? I mean, three bottles a day. That's assuming no breaks. That's assuming no days off whatsoever. The chances are he was doing like four <laughs> bottles a night. And it's poor. It isn't wine. This yeah, is like this, this is like drinking six <laughs> bottles. Jesus Christ! Thing is, he's drinking that much at uni. I think he was just too ahead of his time. Clearly, the seventeen hundreds weren't equipped for that kind of uni life. I think nowadays he'd get on fine. Yeah, I do worry about how far his grant would um, stretch. <laughs> well, his loan. After he finished university without his degree he then went on the grand tour of europe now are we sure he finished without his degree or was he or did he just forget he passed no he he got nothing for his time at uni okay fair enough whilst traveling europe in 1812 when he was just 16 he was commissioned as a captain of a local yeomanry hang on a minute it's 16 after university it was back then fucking hell so he was (laughs) oh god impressive all right In 1814, his regiment was merged into the North Shropshire Yeomanry Cavalry, in which he transferred. After his return from the Grand Tour, he was commissioned into the regular army and joined the 7th Hussars. As a cornet, he spent a year with the regiment in France as part of the army occupation after the defeat of Napoleon. To be honest with you, if my drink problem... I was about to say, like, I had a hypothetical drink problem. (laughs) Um, All right, let's stop pretending it's hypothetical. With my drink problem... If I was to join a regiment of the army, I think I'd choose the Hussars. <laughs> because, frankly, there isn't a slur that would ruin that. However drunk you are, Hussars still sounds all right. During his time in France, he frequently gambled and drank before finally resigning his commission. Do you know, I remember reading once, um, I think it was a tweet, somebody said, the worst thing about like your CV or telling anyone your life story or anything like that where you have to reminisce, you know, go backwards over your life is. You have to present it as a cohesive series of events that you planned and endorsed. (laughs) And so far I'm getting this opinion on this guy that, like, we're saying, well, he then resigned his commission like he had a plan. I mean, if I was that drunk, it would just be like, oh, quit, did I? (laughs) All right, fair enough. (laughs) I like how at this early stage of the story you think he might have a plan. It's... Oh, you've you've got some things coming up. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Fair enough. 
I'm imagining it's a bit like the Fast franchise. <laughs> it started off as one thing, went through a couple of other things, and lucked into success. Um, kind of, although success, you know, I think it's more like the Police Academy series. Although, similar, similar journey, but not success at the end. Although if you're that drunk, the word suck normally pre, pre, you know, precursors lots of other things you weren't aware of. <laughs> when he returned to England, he rejoined the North Shropshire Yeomanry and was promoted to Major in 1822. Right, okay. Now, I'm only uh, aware of the term Yeoman from the original series of Star Trek, Yeoman Rand. Yes, Right, now, she was only in about the first nine episodes or something, but she was effectively, and this might be a sign of the times because it was the 60s, but she was effectively Kirk's uh, secretary, right? So I don't actually know what a yeoman is, do you? Yeah, it's, it is kind of like um, a servant secretary type role, but it's between the rank of sergeant and groom, so it is, it's kind of... You're someone's assistant, but you've kind of got a bit of clout behind you. It's It was given to um, people with some wealth and, and power quite a lot. Yeah, well, like all secretaries, they're all rich and shit, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, well, this guy is absolutely loaded, so... Fair enough, okay. He did attempt to lobby his colonel for an even higher rank, but was unsuccessful. Okay, right. Um, I cannot... Im- when you say lobby... What does that actually involve? Because I can't imagine, like, I'm in the forces, and I've got to a certain rank, and I'm doing okay, and then I think a major leafleting campaign's going to help me. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, that's what he's doing. He He's done nothing to earn a rank, but he thinks he should be higher, so he's just bugging the crap out of his commander to Fair enough. get a boost. <laughs> okay, what, one of those chocolate bars? Yes. I love those. They're really great. Do you remember the Garana-flavoured ones in the, yeah. in, in the green packet? Those are cool. Yeah, I bet this is gold on YouTube, isn't it? Anyway, carry on. <laughs> in 1818, he had married Harriet Emma Jones, a daughter of Sir Thomas Jones in London. Unfortunately, Harriet died just two years later, on the 2nd July 1820. Before her death, however, she gave birth to their daughter, Harriet Charlotte, in April 1819. In 1819, he entertained ambitions of standing for Parliament as a Tory, following family tradition. Okay, is that like the modern Tories? Yeah, it would be the Tory party. Just, I mean, basically, are they? I mean, basically, is he a bit of a prick? Um, well, it's family tradition. I don't know. There's no indication from what I've seen if he believed in Tory. Because basic, basically, basically, being, being a just... modern Tory implies being an absolute shit to everyone for about ten years, and then somewhere in about year six, make gay marriage legal just to like fucking mix it up. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit yeah. like, um, if I'm a twat for ten years, in the <laughs> middle I'll throw in this curveball and, and, I'll, and I'll go, hey, see? <laughs> From what I can see, he doesn't seem to be like that. I think he right. just picked the party that his family had previously yeah. followed. To be so. fair, you're not going to pick Labour in the early 1800s, are you? On the basis no. they do not exist. <laughs> Finding the prospect of campaigning for his seat to be both time-consuming and boring, he decided to secure his seat by giving voters £10 notes in exchange for voting for him. Okay, now, I don't know what the size of the parliamentary seat and the suffrage of the time was, but we see seats these days that are won with 36,000 votes. That times a tenner worries me. Yeah, he spent a total of £10,000 which comes to more than 750 grand in today's time. Okay, so, but it's still like a thousand voters. Okay, fair enough. 
unsurprisingly, he won the election and became the MP for Shrewsbury. So wow. bribery that's, works. That's box office. <laughs> I'm, het- I'm heterosexual, but I'm already creaming myself at the thought of this man. Power and shit. Attending his first session in Westminster, he spent just 30 minutes in the House of Commons in July 1819, <laughs> but found the debates boring and difficult to follow. He left Parliament and never returned. Do you know what? When you meet someone who's like, so-and-so is boring, when they say it once, you they, they almost come off as a bit cool, right? But when someone says everything is boring, you start thinking, <laughs> you're a bit of a twat, really, aren't you? Oh, he is uh, definitely a bit of a twat. <laughs> okay. I just like that. He spends 10 grand and then he's an MP for 30 minutes before he packs it in. <laughs> On a piece rate, that's amazing. <laughs> Mitten married for a second time after serving in Parliament, marrying Charlotte Guilford from Chillington in October 1821. To be fair, if I spent 30 minutes in Parliament, I reckon I'd be absolutely drowning in Fanny. I don't know about you. <laughs> it's it's a good opening. It's like, hey, I'm an MP. Yeah, having said that, I wouldn't want to drown in Fanny. Following his time as an MP... He indulged his enjoyment of horse racing and gambling and enjoyed some success at both. That's such a cliche, isn't it, right? Why is it all, like, drunks are, like, well into gambling and shit like that? It's, why is it, why why no, why no are no drunks, like, indulging their love of, like, horticulture and fucking Lego? Yeah, if anything, ga- you think gambling would become more difficult for you once you've had a drink? Yeah, because you go in and, like, I mean, they're only little pens, aren't they? I mean, I'm assuming it's exactly like the modern Ladbrokes, right? <laughs> yeah, those little pens and, you know, trying to write shit. Particularly, he's probably on, on the internet all the time, so he's probably not used to writing a lot. Or have I missed, I've confused my eras, haven't I? Just a bit. All right. He bought a horse which was already a consistent winner, and entered it in the Gold Cup at Litchfield in 1825, which it won. He also became known as a character at Osry Racecourse, an increasingly disreputable local racetrack. In 1826, in order to win a bet, he rode a horse into the Bedford Hotel opposite the Town Hall in Leamington Spa, up the Grand Staircase and onto the balcony, from which he jumped, still seated on his horse, over the diners in the restaurant below, and out through the window onto the parade. Why do people with gambling habits who are drunks have such um, stupid propensities with bets? It's always that they're going to like ride a horse through somewhere or something like that, or they're going to drown like Middlesex in fanny batter or something. It, it, it's never like um, I bet I can ask that woman out or something. Yeah, I. To be fair, it would be fun to watch this, but. It is a bit over the top, I'll, I'll give you that. Maybe we've just lost our way with betting people to do stuff nowadays. It's just not, not like it used to be. Mitten was an avid hunter and had hunted foxes with his own pack of hounds from the age of 10 and went hunting in any kind of weather. His usual hunting gear was a light jacket, thin shoes, linen trousers and silk stockings, but in the thrill of the chase, he sometimes stripped off and continued the hunt completely naked. Even through snowdrifts and rivers. Snowdrifts and rivers? Yes. If, I was, if I'm going to stroll around naked, I'd make sure that river was fucking warm. <laughs> yeah, running through a river in the middle of winter naked is not the best thing to do. He also continued hunting despite being unseated from his horse and sustaining broken ribs. All right. He was also reported to sometimes lead his stable boys on rat hunts, with each stable boy being equipped with ice skates. 
All right, this is this guy is a strange mix of incredibly fucking masculine and heterosexual, <laughs> and camp as a row of pink tents. During one of his hunts, he was interrupted by a man described as a tough Shropshire miner, and decided to fight the man. The ensuing bare knuckle fight lasted twenty rounds before the miner gave up and walked away. Actually, for bare knuckles, that ain't too bad, because you read about, um, uh, like, 47 rounds or something wasn't that unusual. So that, that's like a three-round knockout in modern parlance. Yeah, the, the old-school bare knuckle boxing was absolutely insane. They'd go for hours and hours. Yeah. Imagine going for hours. <laughs> do, do I have to? Can I not just remember? Lucky lady. <laughs> <laughs> have gone too far with that comment <laughs> I, I just make sure I don't put any songs on by like Pink Floyd or anything Mitten kept numerous pets including some 2,000 dogs <laughs> <laughs> alright his favourite among them were fed on steak and champagne his favourite horse Baronet had free range inside Halston Hall and often laid in front of the fire with him Okay. some of his dogs wore livery others were costumed he also enjoyed dog fights and bred dogs for this purpose. He was even seen having fights with bulldogs and mastiffs and would bite them in order to train them up. Hang on a minute. <laughs> he used to bite his dogs to train them up. Yeah, he'd get into fights with his dogs <laughs> So that, w- that wear costumes. <laughs> what would he do if he was trying to train homie pigeons? <laughs> oh. Just jump off the roof and go with a spit like that. <laughs> Knowing this guy, I, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> It was said that not only did he not mind accidents, he positively enjoyed them. On one occasion, Mitten drove his gig, a light two-wheeled cart pulled by a single horse, at high speeds and decided to discover if the horse-pulled carriage could jump over a toll gate. It couldn't. Well, there's a shock. He's not like an actuary or anything, is he then? Sorry? These people... We know actuaries who kind of like predict the future and risk and shit. I don't think he'd have been any good at that. No, I... (laughs) Honestly, I think he was just 1800s jackass. He's just doing shit for, for fun and to hurt himself now. On another occasion, he asked a passenger whether he had ever been upset in a gig. The man said he had not, and Mitten responded, What? What kind of stam-slow fellow you must have been all your life? He then promptly drove the carriage up a sloping bank at full speed, tipping himself and his passenger out. I'm always sceptical when it's quotes from like 1800 and something. That's what he said, is it? Apparently so. All right. I'll believe you, Amy, because I trust you. He would often drive his carriage at high speed at an obstacle such as a rabbit hole to see if the carriage would turn over, and oftentimes it would. Mitten was also well known for throwing over-the-top parties, and on one occasion he decided to make an impression and arrive to dinner riding a bear. Right, okay. I've just uh, arrived where for dinner? Is this a lo- local restaurant or something? No. And if I decided to arrive somewhere on a bear, doesn't mean I could find a bear. Which means he's got this bear on speed dial. This this was for a party at his home, so I think he just had the bear out back ready. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Despite the bear walking through the building without incident, Mitten decided that he wanted it to go faster and jammed his stirrups into it. The bear promptly turned around and bit him in the leg. On one occasion, a horse dealer was over for dinner with John. Hang on a minute, a horse dealer? Yes. Well, is that someone you can walk up to on street corners and just say, like, can you sort me out, mate? Yep, you could uh, approach people on street corners and buy ponies and all sorts back in the day. 
Oh, dear. I feel like I wasted my university years, what with all the fucking drugs and shit. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Go on. After he became drunk, he was put to bed. The following morning, he woke to find two bulldogs on one side of his bed and a bear on the other. (laughs) (laughs) Another time, after his guests left on horseback after a dinner party, Mitten quickly donned full highwayman garb and mask and armed with a brace of pistols, caught up with them through the back roads. Still on the edge of his estate, he burst from cover, fired both pistols over their heads and shouted, Stand and deliver! Not content with terrifying his guests, when they ran, he chased them across the country. I, I'm not going to say anything there other than I thought Stand and Deliver genuinely came from, like, the 1980s uh, <laughs> Dick Turpin TV show with Richard, whatever he was fucking called, from... Uh, what's that fucking TV? Robin's Nest? I thought it came from that. I didn't think people genuinely said Stand and Deliver. Or, no, they, as they I used to say did. when I was a child, <laughs> Stand for your liver. <laughs> That's a strangely cryptic threat. <laughs> Stand for your liver. Well, I was only about four, all right? That's what I thought he said. Stand like for it. your liver. I, yeah. I think I prefer that version. <laughs> Stand for your liver. Well, this is a guy who's drunk thousands of bottles at university. I would imagine this, he would be obsessed with that part of the body. Oh, yeah. You, you know his liver is fucked by this point. <laughs> <laughs> Mitten was said to be a spendthrift and visitors to his estate would often find banknotes stashed around the grounds, whether left on, left on purpose or simply lost. All right, fair enough. This this guy doesn't value the important things in life, in my view. No, and he's got kids at this point as well, and he's still doing this shit. Yeah, I know, but we've all known some shit parents. <laughs> Over the course of 15 years, he managed to spend the entirety of his inheritance and fell into deep debt. By what what age what age do we think he's at at the moment? Uh, roughly. This age he's about 30. Yeah, okay, I spent mine by my early 20s. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> his agent calculated that if he could reduce his expenditure to 6,000 a year for 6 years, his estate would not have to be sold. Reports say Mitten declared that I wouldn't give a damn to live on 6,000 a year. It was at this time that his wife Caroline ran away. Okay, is she just legging it through the forest or is this something <laughs> a bit more planned? I think she's just had enough of his shit at this point. All right. The guy keeps bears in the house. It's... Fair enough. They must They must offer him a certain joy. Accumulating more debt, Mitten fled England in 1831, running to Calais to avoid his creditors. That's not running very far. I know we've got to, <laughs> I know we've got to make uh, adjustments for like modern travel techniques, but that that's like me running to like Somerset. Yeah, it's, I think he just he likes to keep England close by, just in case. What, in case he needs an emergency England? <laughs> well, maybe he wants to come over and catch up with, you know, the, the horse seller and the bear for the weekend. This twat would vote for Brexit, wouldn't he? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, all right, fair enough. <laughs> when he was leaving England, he met an attractive 20-year-old woman named Susan on Westminster Bridge and offered her £500 a year to be his companion. To which she agreed. Westminster Bridge is probably the best bridge in the world for pulling. Because it's that bridge that when the sun shines, that grill sort of along the side looks like penises. You've seen that, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. So you're just basically, you're talking to a lady 
if you're a heterosexual gentleman, of course, you're talking to a lady and you're just going, like, how are you? And all the time the son is doing the work for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got one of those. Whilst in Calais, in the company of Charles James Appley, who was called Nimrod to his friends, who would later go on to be Mitten's biographer, he came up with an interesting way of curing his hiccups. Damn this hiccup, Mitten said, as he stood undressed, apparently in the act of getting into bed. Altogether too much like direct quotes from the time. Who's he in bed with at this point? This um, is just in their rooms in Calais, but... Right, so he's in a room by himself, and he's gone, damn these hiccups. Now, this is in the presence of the guy who is his biographer, so I guess this is where the quotes keep coming from. Well, if he wrote it down immediately, I'll allow it. To be fair, with what's coming up, I think he would probably write this down fairly quick. Okay, fair enough. I'd be a bit worried if I said, like, fuck these hiccups or something, and the person in the room with me immediately got out of the notebook. Mitten then said, I'll frighten them away. He sees a lit candle and applied it to the ends of his shirt. He was instantly enveloped in flames. A fellow guest and Mitten's servant beat the flames out. Standing half burnt, he cried, the hiccups have gone, by God, and jumped into bed. Okay. Yeah, so he set himself on fire to get rid of hiccups. Do you think that was what was going on in Vietnam? Uh, that that guy who fucking napalmed himself and set himself on fire. You think he just had the hiccups, and we're all like, we're all like, what, what, a, what a statement against war? And he's like, I have nothing to do with fucking war. It's been hiccuping since nineteen fifty-seven. Well, for all you know, it's a great technique for getting rid of hiccups because the one time it's been done, it works. So, hundred percent success rate. Does this mean the Human Torch from the Fantastic Four never gets the hiccups? I would guess so. All right. Well done, Chris Evans, stroke, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, when I say well done, Chris Evans, stroke, Michael B. Jordan, <laughs> that, that's, not, that's not encouragement. That's just saying or Michael B. Jordan. Uh, we could say it's both. Well, we'd all watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even into that, but I'd still fucking watch. If, if someone said to me now, Chris Evans is wanking off Michael B. Jordan, I'd be like, where? Go on. (laughs) Captain America's jacking off Creed. Yeah, I'd watch that. (laughs) Mm. Do you think, like, if... You know how, like, Captain America throws his shield and it bounces off trees and straight back to him? Mm. Do you think that would be the same with his cum shot? He shoots it off, bounces off three trees and straight back into his face. Oh, you wouldn't want it coming back at you. If he can deflect shot it at someone, that would be impressive. (laughs) Just something I've been thinking about, Amy. (laughs) You think about Captain America coming, okay. Um, I feel I've learnt more about you than I should have, but... Well, yeah, I agreed with his argument from Civil War. (laughs) On that basis, I'm not going to think about Iron Man doing it, am I? In 1833, Mitten returned to England, where, still unable to pay his debts, he ended up in the King's Bench Prison in Southwark. He died there in 1834, aged just... 37. What was, when was he born? At 1797 or something, wasn't he? Yeah, he died at 38. Fucking hell. Yeah. Note, listeners, something there we call empathy. Um, I, I'm trying to... Notice how I sounded like a give a shit about some story, about some bloke, don't really care. But, like, sold it, didn't I? The jailers describe Mitten as round-shouldered, tottering, old young man bloated by drink, worn out by too much foolishness, too much wretchedness, and too much brandy. We're all worn out by foolishness. Um, I'm I'm quite impressed he could bloat his body out that quickly. Because I started fairly young and I've tried really hard. <laughs> and I'm in my 40s now and I still haven't fucked my body up quite that much. 
and I've really, really tried. So this guy's my hero. <laughs> it is estimated that he spent the equivalent of £20 million gradually selling off the family estate and even the contents of Holston Hall. Hang on a minute. How can you sell? How can you spend twenty million selling off an estate? That that kind of contravenes the meaning of selling, surely. No, he had to keep selling his stuff to keep getting money. All right. So he effectively raised and spent twenty million from selling stuff, including his original fortune. Yeah. Well, I would judge him. I would judge him, but I love him. And it all went on women, drink, and gambling, and bears. There were three. I mean, to be fair. I've I've not I've not tested out bears, so I can't comment on that. Not wildly into gambling, although I could be because like I, I remember gambling once, like at like a visit to a racetrack, and for days afterwards I had to like fight the urge. But that went that went away eventually. I know I've got an addictive personality, but the drinking and the women bit just respect. So even if you took off half of that for the gambling and stuff like that 10 million on women and drink that's impressive well i mean if it's 10 million in that era's money and uh, drink can't be that expensive which means he is having some fucking high class prostitutes <laughs> i mean to be fair we can all judge paying for it but i mean if you're gonna you, if you get your money's worth then fair play he is remembered through his complete lack of malice and innate goodness and generosity that was remembered after his death by the fact that an estimated 3,000 people turned up for his funeral, including many members of the army attending, together with his former tenants and servants, friends and well-wishers. His biographer, Robert Appley, writing under the pen name Nimrod, published a biography in 1835, in which he wrote, It was his largeness of heart that ruined Mr. Mitten, added to the lofty pride which disdained the littleness of prudence. Okay. I bet that book's a fucking thrilling re-judging by that turn of phrase. <laughs> I'm imagining a bit like the Michael Mann film, Ali. Like, Muhammad Ali had one of the most fascin- fascinating lives ever, and it had everything. It had fucking sex. It had, like, coming back against adversity. It had everything. This guy made a boring film about it. I bet this biographer wrote a pile of shit about all this fucking fun. Yeah. It's like, these anecdotes are, are brilliant in what they should be oh like, yeah the, the guy riding are. a bear in and all that crazy stuff but the the detail i found on them is so vague and I'm, i i have turned up in some right states at places um i i mean i imagine a biography in my life would be pretty good even though the life hasn't been that amazing but th- this guy is like fucked up a really interesting life judging by his quotes yeah if this guy is your biographer you just you you could be the greatest person around. It's going to be dull. What's the um? What's the need to sleep with your biographer? I mean, unless you're worried about like bad press. You told me a story where he was in bed, like, and he, at the same time as his biographer was in the same <laughs> room. And I'm just thinking, like, I mean, William Hague wrote a biography of Disraeli or something. He didn't have to fuck a corpse or something, did he? <laughs> Maybe at the time it was just your biographer just followed you everywhere. Because you never know when you're going to do some mad shit, so they got. So do you, do you think early biographies just reported everything, Probably. and then like, and then he had a seven second piss? Fair enough. It's like it's much easier today because people post everything they do online, but back then you needed to be there to write it down. Very, very rarely do we post having a piss. To be fair, I mean you're quite open about your life, Amy, but I never hear. And then I had a piss. <laughs> I mean you you went to, you went to a lake today. You had a big open fucking water area to do it if you'd wanted. Yeah, there's plenty of bushes. Did you? Did you? Did you have a piss while you were there? 
I didn't. No, I didn't need to. I'm sorry. Uh, I let you down. You ruined the story now. <laughs> I mean, so much of your life is so exotic, and I'm kind of impressed. But at the same time, you didn't have a piss in the bush, so I'm not interested. <laughs> John Mitten's name lives on throughout his county of Shropshire, with many roads and streets being named after him. And, of course, Mittens. Did he have Did he have two thumbs and then, like, one massive finger on each hand? <laughs> yeah, he had um, the Danny DeVito flipper hands from mm. Batman Returns. No wonder he was married several times. No wonder he was married several times. Fingering would be painful. Perhaps the most fitting memorial to him was the John Mitten Run, an annual streaking event by students held on the University of Minnesota campus. It's Minnesota in a cold or hot climate. Can't place it immediately. Because fr- frankly, I'd streak in the Gobi... De- well, no, I was about to say I'd streak in the Gobi Desert or no other place. Actually, I think I'd go the other way. I think I'd only streak in Siberia or the Antarctic, because if my penis looks small, I've got an excuse. If I do it in the Gobi Desert, my penis looks small, what am I going to say? It's cold. Okay, I've just had a look. Minnesota is literally... Oh, I wonder what you'd had a look at then. I was like, <laughs> Did my, is my webcam on? <laughs> Fucking hell. It's it's just under Canada. She, hey, she, she offered me sex. She offered me sex in episode two. In episode <laughs> 20, she's having a look at my dick through the fucking webcam. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's lots of pictures of snow when you search Minnesota, so I don't imagine it's very warm. Right, okay. I think it is near Canada, actually, but yeah. Yeah, so probably not the best yeah, place to strip. That's, no, that's where you should strip. You've got a ready-made excuse. You look a bit <laughs> small. It's cold, don't you? Okay, yeah, from that perspective, it probably probably works better. I mean, what are you going to do about it? You're not going to, like, watch some porn and have a run, are you? <laughs> Having said that, you'd probably win, because you'd, you'd, you'd breast the tape earlier, wouldn't you? <laughs> During the course of his life, John Mitten gained the nicknames Mango, Mad Jack, and The King of Pickles. The King of Pickles? Yes. Okay, I, I have no idea. <laughs> No, neither do I. I I have no idea. Unless they were just like you're pickling your liver or something. I don't know. But yeah, I once I once worked with a couple both called Sarsen. I had to bite my lip not to crack loads of vinegar strokes jokes because they were married. <laughs> um, think vinegar strokes, think Sarsens. Uh, no. Yeah, that's um, that's what I've got. It's that's John Mitten. That's great, but in, in episode two, we had a man who once, you know, took on Thanos by himself or whatever it was. <laughs> and in this episode, we've got a guy who got very, very drunk. So I feel like episode two was like what I want. I feel like I've I've had the aspiration and I've had the reality. Episode two was the aspiration. I wish I was that man. Tonight, you told <laughs> me a story that was like, well, yeah, I'm pretty much like that. <laughs> So thank you for telling me that in 200 years' time, providing I join the Tories, apparently, my life story will be worthy because it will just be, well, he drank loads and died. He drank loads and dried, died young. It's like, well, I can pretty much pom- promise that, so cool. You can only be a Tory for 30 minutes, though, and you also need to ride a bear and set yourself on fire at least once. I, I don't know how you can only be a Tory for 30 minutes because you won't <laughs> even have filled in your self-assessment tax form by then. You won't even have thought, oh, I'm in the higher tax bracket. Oh, you run out of time. I like that, though. He spent the equivalent of £750,000 and couldn't even last an hour. Why? What was the point? No wonder he was in debt. <laughs> well, I just love the fact that, like, I mean, if I had endless money now, 
right? If I was literally like had so much money I didn't know what to do with and I thought I'm really lonely, I need to get myself a prostitute. I don't think I could find one that fucking <laughs> expensive. It's like, you know, I mean, if I tried, I, I'm not sure I could find one that was like, you know, a hundred grand or something. <laughs> uh, you know, and frankly, Cummings are pretty, if you're male, come, if, you, if you're male, coming is kind of a fairly binary experience. You either do or you don't. Now, there's some degree of, like, intensity that varies, but broadly speaking, there's only so good it can be. It, it ain't worth, like, a hundred grand, I promise. <laughs> it's probably worth a bag of chips. <laughs> Okay, I, w- I want to watch you trying to negotiate a prostitute down to a bag of chips. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give you my postcode after this, and we'll, we'll have a bit of fun. I'm going to go out with 50p, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll use some ch- old-fashioned charm. Okay. <laughs> well, there we go, I think. Yeah, so that's that's the story. If people enjoyed it, where can they find you online? Oh, well, you can find me personally at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter. I, mm, I'm most known for a podcast called Do You Expect Us to Talk, which you can find at Expect Us to Talk on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash Expect Us to Talk. It lives at a site called cinematronics.co.uk, which is Tronics, T R O N I X. Uh, I'm also known. Well, partially for a podcast called Politflix, which you can find at movieviral.co.uk. Or I'm not only on this podcast, but I'm also, as as is Amy, on a show called Smorgasbord, which is Board, B-O-R-E-D. That's at Pod on Twitter. And there's also a podcast I do that is released through that feed called Three Wise Men, which is really, I'm enjoying that. I've only recorded about three so far, but they're a lot of fun cool and they are really good shows so people should definitely go out and listen and subscribe and follow you because it's it's very much worth it thank you very much um i mean three wise men's pretty new but if you go to the smorgasbord pod you'll hear a bit of everything and if you enjoyed this episode you can find us on twitter by going to at eccentric underscore earth we're also on Facebook. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash eccentric earth. And you can find us on Instagram under eccentric earth. If you want to write in with any suggestions for future episodes or topics you want to see us cover, our email address is eccentric earth at outlook.com. And frankly, I, w- I will just interrupt to say if you really want to hear me back on the show, the chances are Amy is most likely to hire me for filth so send in the filthiest you can possibly manage yeah if there's anything weird filthy well you've you've heard dave's sense of humor anything you think is going to be up his alley send it our way not literally up my alley no one wants that we'll see what they send us well it depends you've got to experiment (laughs) you can find us on all major podcast providers so please go and subscribe and don't miss any episodes because we're going to try and get Dave back on in less than 180 episodes so you need to be subscribed be back to on find soon. out when uh, that is <laughs> we did we did episode two and then shit went on in my life and then we tried to record again and stuff went wrong with it and then i've just not been on again because I, I literally don't think amy thought i was available so um n- now i'm back I'll, I'll be on soon hopefully yeah it's been absolute pleasure having you on and we will see you all next time take care bye bye bye